The Courage to Lead, Episode 56. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please welcome to the show, Nermeen Jassani. Nermeen Jassani is a growth management consultant for lawyers, doctors, and dentists. She's a principal consultant at We Are Wildly Successful. She's a recovered lawyer and acts as a COO for dental and medical practices. Nermeen got her start as a Wall Street attorney. She's worked in every business area imaginable, including tech startups, construction, manufacturing, and retail. Working with medical and dental practices and lawyers is her specialty, and it's what she has succeeded at time and time again. And while she calls Atlanta home, she is still a New Yorker by heart. Nermeen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Harlan. It's so great to be here. No, it's definitely good to be here. So I also read on your website that uh, 99% of the time you can be found drinking a cup of joe. So do you have yeah. your coffee with you? I do. I have my coffee. It's in my protein shake. I have my coffee um, with and me. I am ready to rock and roll. And for those of you who totally understand coffee addiction, you know, it's absolutely necessary. Absolutely. So. <laughs> I was thinking of getting a tattoo of the uh, the caffeine symbol, you know, just because that's how important caffeine is. All right. So I want to get into talking about uh, your background, how you got started as a lawyer, how you got started with your own practice, right? We are wildly successful. Um, some of the other things you've been up to. But before we get started, I've got some questions to ask. Now, listeners, you guys know these are the questions asked uh, by host James Lipton on the award-winning show Inside the Actor Studio, where he interviewed uh, folks from Hollywood. And I figure if these questions are good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Nermeen, if you're ready, I've got 10 questions for you. I am ready. Drumroll, please. Let's rock and roll. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word. Okay. So I have a least favorite word and we'll get to that one, but I also, (laughs) but I also use that word very often. Okay. Probably my favorite word is opportunity, especially as a business owner, you have to see opportunity in everything. So opportunity is a great word. Great word. All right. What is your least favorite word? Like. Like, I use it. I'm I'm guilty of using it all the time. So I don't fault those who do use it, but I'm so aware of the number of times I use filler words like, like, like or like. very, or so. Yeah. I say awesome all the time. I, and I, I didn't realize it until my wife started listening to some of the recordings. She goes, you know, you say that a lot. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, number three, what turns you on? What turns me on? Business owners who want to grow. Okay. And what turns you off? Um, business owners who take on too much. <laughs> I'm one of those from time to time. So guilty, That's, totally same guilty. Here. Same here. What sound or noise do you love? I love the sound of a violin. Nice. Very what, calming, very soothing. Absolutely. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh my goodness. Uh, every Thursday, the lawn people come and clean and do the lawn work. So anything that's lawn related, whether it's, you know, 
the lawn mower, whatever, whatever tools they're using. They're just, they are my like nails on a chalkboard. It exactly. just drives me absolutely insane. And usually it happens whenever I'm recording, they're standing right outside the window right? with their blowers going, boom, 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 boom. Exactly. Yeah. And you're like, what, what's the purpose in blowing? You blow and then it all comes back. Like, why, why are we doing this? <laughs> exactly. All right. Nermeen, what is your favorite curse word? Oh, that's the F word. Or that seems to be the most popular all the time. <laughs> and I, and I tell people, I, I curse like a sailor. So if you don't like the curse words, close your ears, because that's just, that's, that's my way. That's how I roll. It's how I get very excited about things. It's how you can tell I'm passionate. And go. like when the curse words start to roll, I'm in my zone and I'm comfortable. Is that the New York coming out a little bit? I think it's the New York. I also think it's just like, I've always been one of those kids who loved curse words and my teachers would get really upset with me for using them. And I was just like, well, you know what? Fuck you. So, you know. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Would I like to have had yeah. um, or attempt? Uh, like to try, yeah. I think if not being a business owner, I think it would have been really cool being a university English professor. So teaching about the great authors and teaching about symbolism and foreshadowing. And I just think it's so cool that you get to spend your life reading books and just the way that people put words together. Oh, just, yeah, that's, that's what I would want to do. Very cool. What profession would you not like to do? Um, anything in the restaurant industry. I'm sorry for for the restaurant business owners out there. I don't know how you do it. I've worked with them. They've been my clients in the past. It's just such a difficult industry that Absolutely. if I was a bartender, if I was a waiter, if I was an owner, a manager, God, I would just, just know nothing in the restaurant, nothing. And I don't want to know how my food is made. Like, I, I just don't want to know, like ignorance is bliss and I would yes. rather not know. Yeah. You'd probably not, not want to look behind the scenes. At yes, all. exactly. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, what took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good job. All right. Uh, so we're going to get back. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, how you got started um, in law, how you started your own practice, uh, who you work with and why, and uh, courage. All right. So we will be back right after this message. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. All right, and we are back with my guest, Ramid Jirsani. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the program. Yeah, of course. It's good to have you here. So far. Yeah. So did you always want to be a lawyer? Were you one of those kids that just kind of grew up one morning and or got up one morning saying, I'm going to be a lawyer? No, absolutely not. So I wonder about those people because I have clients who are doctors who are like, yes, I always wanted to be a doctor. And I have clients who are lawyers who are like, since I was three or five, 
you know, for me, it was definitely not that I did. I knew I wanted to help people. I also knew I wanted to make money. So like nonprofit being a nurse or going to med school for 1500 years, that was like not going to happen for me. So I think growing up as, as little Nermeen, you know, uh, sitting in her little coloring chair, um, I think I just wanted to help people. That was really the, the thing that I wanted to do. And I would always see like little things that would go wrong and I'd be like, who's going to fix that? Like, who's going to make that right? You know? And I would hear these stories and I'd be like, Ooh, what if I was that person to make it right? So. Yeah. That's cool though. But you were a successful lawyer, right? Assistant counsel up in New York. Tell me about that. Yes. So I graduated from law school in 2010 and uh, I was going to always practice in New York City. That's where I wanted to be. I grew up in Queens. I wanted to practice in the city. Um, When I first graduated, I wanted to be a law firm partner at one of the large firms in New York. And um, I quickly started to realize that that was not a road that you wanted to go down because everyone, when I looked at who was like the partners, they all seemed miserable. And, um, you know, that just didn't feel right. So I had an opportunity to be in-house counsel for a financial services firm called Alpari. Um, and a lot of what I did for them was, you know, sort of a little bit of everything. Uh, when you're in-house counsel, you're doing employment contract review, you're reviewing business contracts, you are negotiating terms. I mean, it was, I I know a lot of attorneys talk about how in-house counsel is like the creme de la creme. That's the thing that you want to do. And I got the opportunity to do that. And I did enjoy doing it while I did do it. Um, But it it just wasn't going to be for me forever. Yeah. So how long were you there? Um, I think I was there for either 18 months or two years. I, I don't remember the exact time frame right now, but um, I was planning on being there for longer. And that just didn't happen because I just was not keen on the idea of being inside an office all day. So did you just get burned out and decide to walk away or what, what was it? What, what made you leave? Yeah. So it was a couple of things that had happened. So, um, you know, when I was in, um, law school, I already had doubts about wanting to become a lawyer and I just sort of grinded it out and I pushed through it. And I was like, I got, I worked so hard to get here. I'm going to get this degree by God. And so, you know, I forced myself, um, unfortunately to, to complete, you know, the three years of law school. And, uh, I always knew in me that I didn't want to be a lawyer forever. Once I started to see, what law actually is right and like how much you know you see on tv is not actually what's happening in your day-to-day and my day-to-day you know anytime you were an employee of another business you know you're going into an office you're so you're waking up you are commuting in minus the pandemic where you know you didn't have to do that um you're commuting in you're in an office you're usually you know working through your lunch and, uh, you know, you leave, then you go home, maybe you go to the gym, maybe you have dinner and then you do it all over again. And I just sort of looked at my life and I was like, there has to be more to life than this, than this, like 
repetition, this, you know, going into the office, going to the gym, come home, eat dinner, do it all over again. Like, so it was part of that. And right around that time, I had an idea for a tech startup. I'd lived in New York for four years. I was in a very happy relationship, um, but I didn't have any female friends. And I noticed that like the friends that I had either moved or went to different companies. So like we used to work together and then they work somewhere else. And it's just so hard, like scheduling time between work and relationship stuff and all that other stuff. So it's like, there has to be a better way to make new friends in this city. And that became the seed for my tech startup that I had. And so, you know, it was this combination of, I'm not really happy doing what I'm doing. And also I have an idea and I really want to, you know, see where this idea goes and where it takes me. And I felt like, you know, all the stars had sort of lined up and it was like, it, I felt like it was the right time to to make the move. Awesome. And what was the name of that? Is that still going? Uh, it is not still going. It's called, it was called Lumel, L-U-M-E-L-E. It was literally a friendship making platform just for nice. women. Um, I did the tech VC startup game for <laughs> a few years. I moved out to LA from New York. Um, and when I was doing it, I was just like, okay, here's what it is with with VCs and this is what it's going to look like. And ultimately I could do this for 10 years, but what am I really working towards? Because in 10 years, sure, I might become someone who has a million, two million users on the platform. Maybe I'm doing ads, maybe I'm charging people for it. But I was like, really, is that the kind of business I want to run? Is that really what I want to do? Because you know, you're ultimately going to have to pay back your VC some way, somehow. And those are the only two options that you really have. And when I started seeing that those were my options, I was just kind of like, and you're never really in charge of your business. Someone else is always in charge of it because they helped you grow to this point. And I didn't, I didn't want to answer to anyone, right? Like even being uh, in a law firm, I didn't want to answer to anyone. And then having a tech startup, I didn't want to answer to VCs. And I didn't want to keep playing that VC game because, they didn't see the value in a friendship making platform for women. They were like, how is this different from Facebook? Mm -hmm. How is this different from meetup? And I was like, you guys, you don't understand. Like it is hard for us. Like we don't just stand in a bathroom line and then all of a sudden become friends with the girl in front of us. Like that's not how it goes. And so it was just a really difficult sort of argument to continually make. And, you know, once you, once I, I was like, even if I do get through all these hurdles, who am I answering to? It's not my business. It's yeah. really their business because they've funded it. And so I was just like, nope, okay, I'm, yeah. I've seen this game. I'm not really interested in playing anymore. Thank you very much. So exactly. I actually closed that startup in 2015, I believe okay. it was. Yeah, that's to me. It seems like a a good idea because I know I know other people that have gotten off of social media altogether because they're approached by people, hey baby, or something like that, yeah. just because they're on Facebook. It's like, why? Why can't you just be civil? Why can't you just talk? You know? Exactly. It's definitely a safety issue on yeah. a lot of the other platforms, for sure. Wow. Well, so I mean, being Zuckerberg for a few weeks would be okay. I think. You know, <laughs> I think that'd be okay with me. Um, yeah. I'd want to be totally honest. He gets scrutinized for everything. Oh, I know. You know, any decision he makes, he's going to get shit on. So I feel terrible for him. Yeah. Um, So where'd you go after that? What did you do? 
So after that, I took a very, very left turn. Um, I went into construction for a little while. So literally hard hat, hammer. I was building and tearing down houses. Um, Very cool. And yeah, I was, my parents were like, you went from being a Wall Street lawyer <laughs> to wearing a hard hat. Like, what are you doing with your life? Yeah. <laughs> Why is this happening right now? Um, I did that for a little while and there was a there was a big reason behind it. So um, again, inside of wanting to help people and wanting to step away from like the computer laptop lifestyle and just sort of be active and be on my feet all day. I was like, construction, that makes sense. And so I was like, let me learn how to run a team. Let me learn how to do, you know, electrical wiring. Let me learn these things so that I can eventually have my own team. And, you know, I was in LA at the time mm -hmm. and, you know, the value of homes out there is pretty ridiculous. Very and so, ridiculous. you know, what if I started flipping and then for every house that I flipped, I could then build a house somewhere else where a house was needed. And so it was called build it forward. And that was my idea. And so I wanted nice. to learn about construction so I could do these things myself. And, um, I think that did not work out because I think I was ultimately just like, yeah, I don't know if I can do this construction thing in a hundred degree heat. Like, yeah. I just, I don't think I've got it in me, but I did try and it was interesting, but um, ultimately I came back to Atlanta um, in 2015. And that's when like, you know, I started a mattress factory with my family and um, started to get more into the consulting work that I do now. Awesome. So you literally have done almost everything. That is awesome. <laughs> Very cool. So is that when you then started uh, We Are Wildly Successful? Yeah. So I started We Are Wildly Successful. I mean, it's been through like four name changes since I started it. I think I just started as like Nermeen Jasani Consulting um, and realized that it needed to be called something much more snazzy. And so um, I started consulting four years ago. And really the big push, push towards consulting was that all of these things that I had done before, the biggest sort of complaint for me personally was that I needed more variety. And that for me was going to be the ultimate spice to my career life was I needed to constantly do different things. I didn't want to do just one thing. And I had met another consultant. Um, and when he explained to me what he did, I was like, this sounds so cool. I need to do exactly what you're doing. I was like, what is that thing called? He's like consulting. I'm like, oh, so are you with like, you know, one of the big four, are you with EY, are you with Deloitte? Like, what are you doing? And they were like, no, I'm on my own. I don't, you know, I don't work with any of the other companies. And I was like, wow, that's just so cool. So you like set your own prices and you work when you want to work and you take the clients you want to take. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Right. So like, it was just me stumbling into it and sort of seeing that like consulting doesn't have to be that typical big four route um, there. You can actually be an independent consultant. And when he told me I could do it and I saw his success in it, I was like, done. This is what I'm doing. And sure. that's when it happened. Yeah. You can pick the area you want to specialize in, right? Exactly. Do the things you want to do with the clients you want to work for. Yeah, it's perfect. Exactly. The freedom and the flexibility just, it made absolute sense to me. And so how did you decide to start focusing on doctors, lawyers, dentists? Yeah. Idiots? So I first started with lawyers because I'm a lawyer. And so I knew exactly what the concerns were because, um, you know, even like 
when I had my tech startup, what I was doing on this side to support my tech startup was I had my own law practice. And um, what I realized was I made so many mistakes as a law firm owner. I charged by the hour. I did not charge enough. I didn't have like excellent contracts with my clients. And I had one client that was like a majority of my um my my finances <laughs> you know my revenue was one 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 company and you know i did all those things wrong and so like because i did everything the wrong way i was like i can totally tell people like the right way of doing it because like you learn more from your mistakes than you do sure. from your successes and Absolutely. i learned so much from those mistakes that i wanted to tell other law firm owners listen like you don't have to do this this way. Like there's a better way of doing it. I I want I wanted to share everything I had learned along the way. Cool. But now we're talking about very smart people, doctors, lawyers. You'd think that they would know how to run a business, and you're saying they they don't. Yeah. So I'm saying politely that you know, they <laughs> went to they went to their school for their specialty, right? You went to medical school, you went to dental school, you went to law school. Now in none of those schools do they actually teach you how to run a business. And I think that people have an idea, this notion, sort of like when you see what it is to be a lawyer on TV, it's not actually what it is in real life. And when you are a business owner, there are so many hats that you have to wear. You have so many responsibilities. And if you just get caught up in the doing of your business, you are just doing your clinical or you are just doing the legal work and you have no perspective on your business, the growth, the strategy, the clients, where you want to go, how many hours you want to work. You have none of that. My whole thing is what was the whole point in you owning your own business? If you're not going to dictate your own terms, like you started your own business so that you could do things your own way. And you've got to be able to know what that is and then build a business around what you want it to be rather than, oh, you know what? I used to work for this other doctor and I'm going to do exactly what they did. Or I used to work for this other law firm and I'm going to do exactly what they did. You can't have a copycat model. It has to be the business that you want. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, working with small businesses, a lot of the clients that I have, they went into business because technically they're very good at what they do had no idea how to run a business, how to uh, run a, a crew, a team, right? Yeah. Uh, work with the employees and everything like that. Basically what they created was a job for themselves. Yeah. It, their name is on the building, their name is on the truck, but it's just a job. And to try to get them to understand that, no, 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 you should not be doing this yourself. You need a team, right? Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Harlan. And that's exactly what, what people hire us for is to explain mm-hmm. that to them, right? Like they need to understand that you shouldn't be an employee of your own business. Like technically you can be for, for tax purposes, but you know, in, in essence, you should not be an employee of your own business. You are the owner and you should have the business that you want to have. Exactly. Now on your website, you say you can help clients avoid the deadly mistakes in their practice, right? What are those deadly mistakes? What type of things do you see? Yeah. So, you know, I think for law firms, um, one of the biggest mistakes that I see is they will do copycat pricing. So, you know, if they came out of a big firm and now they're a solo or a small firm owner, they will say, okay, well, the big firm charges 700 an hour. 
but I'm going to charge 500. Like it's just some random number that they've created out of thin air. Right. And they're just like, okay, this is what I'm going to charge. But you know what? Because I'm starting and I'm new, I'm going to start at 250 and then mm. I will work my way to 500. And then you try to work your way to 500 and that never happens. And you just end up with all of these clients who you're doing all of this work for and you have all of this experience and you can't get out of the 250 to 350 range. You know, it's just a scary situation to be in. So that I think is one of the, the deadliest mistakes that law firm owners can make. And then I think for medical practice owners, you know, the biggest mistake that you can make is sort of burning out. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of medical practice owners that are like, okay, so by the time I'm 35, this is what I'm going to do. And then by the time I'm 40, this is what I'm going to do. And then by the time I'm 45, this is what it's going to look like. And they have this whole plan and there's nothing wrong with having a plan. But the thing that they don't tell you in medical and dental school is how physically exhausting it is to actually be a doctor and be a practitioner, right? Like by the time you get to a point where you can bring on an associate, you might be 40, you might be 45, you might be already like exhausted and burned out by them. You might already have back issues, you know, uh, cervical spine issues, you know, all sorts of issues from all the weird ways that you contort your body. Like think about your dentist and how they sit in that crappy little chair and like, you know, how uncomfortable they must be getting into your mouth. That's not comfortable. You're in the comfortable chair, right? Cause you're like reclined fully, even though your mouth is open and you're uncomfortable, but you're in the comfortable position. Your dentist and you've had gas, you had gas. So you're okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so like, no one's thinking about like how physically exhausting it is and how you will physically burn yourself out. If you do not have these sort of more realistic goals in place for your practice, because I see so many practice centers that are like, okay, I'm 45, I'm done, 15, I'm done, I'm ready to be out. And it's like, well, why did you go into this as a career then if you only did this thing for 15 years? Because if you graduate at 30 or 35 and you're out by 45, 50, what was the whole point of going to school for nine years? Like, why did you do that to yourself if you weren't going to be in it forever? You know, Um, I think the goal is just to pace yourself, to be in a practice where you actually enjoy what you're doing and you can still do it at 50 and 60. Yeah. So is that one of the things you work with them on looking at the the long-term, what are their, their goals? What are their exit strategy? To yeah. Help they make their building towards that. Yes, exactly. And you know what, that is the perfect way to put it, Harlan, because it's all about your exit strategy, right? Like what do you want it to look like when you leave and keeping in mind that if you are a solo practitioner, solo law firm owner, whatever it is, your business is probably going to be the thing that funds a lot of your retirement. Mm -hmm. And you want it to be at a certain number so that when it comes to selling it, you're not like, uh, I'm only getting, you know, half a million, a million, whatever for your practice. You want to be able to know that you put all these years into it and it is an asset that you can sell and live off of. Absolutely. But now they have to know their numbers. That's one thing I go over with my clients. I asked one guy, how did you do last year? What was your revenue last year? And he goes, oh, we did pretty good. I go, okay, so what was your revenue? And he goes, I don't know, but we did good. It's like, okay, what's your profit margin? Oh, yeah, our profit margin is really good. It's like, what, what is your profit margin? He goes, I don't know, but I think it's pretty good. He had no idea what his numbers were. 
And if you don't know your numbers, you don't know what to improve or how to improve it. You don't know what you know your your costs are. You don't know what costs to operate your business for a day or a month or whatever. You can't make any changes. Are are doctors and lawyers are they essentially the same? Yes. So what I will say is you are absolutely right, Harlan. You have to know your numbers. And what I say is like imagine you're married if you are married and you forget your anniversary date or you forget your significant other's birthday, you're going to be in deep doo-doo for Mm -hmm. forgetting. And you have to know your numbers with that kind of pressure that if you forget, you're going to be sleeping on the couch for a week, or you're going to be spending money on some expensive vacation to make up for the fact that you forgot. Right. So you want to know your numbers, like, you know, your anniversary date, like you need to know them, like the back of your hand, like snap your fingers. This is what I made last year. This was my profitability you know, here's where I think we're stuck. Here's where I think we could do a little bit better and be able to say it off the top of your head, not be able to say a range. Oh, well, I made between 150 to 200,000 last year. That is such a wide range. Like that, that's not even knowing your numbers. You're better off not knowing your numbers and giving someone a range that's like that wide. You've got to be able to say, okay, we made exactly $176,400. You don't need to know the pennies, but I mean, at least have an awareness of what your numbers are. And you know, I will tell you, Harlan, I will talk to solo law firm owners and I ask them that question. How much did you make last year? I don't know. Okay. Like that's a problem. If you don't know what you made last year or last month. And then when you ask, well, why don't you know? Oh, well, um, you know, uh, my taxes haven't come in yet. And it's like, okay, but you shouldn't have to rely on your accountant to know how much you made last year you should actually have a better system in place. So it's like, as we start having these conversations, really it comes down to they either don't have a strategy or they don't have a system and it's one or the other. And like, that's what we're all about implementing is like- Or a combination of both. Exactly, exactly. And you've gotta be able to to have those things in place to have a business, strategy and systems. Like they're gonna be your best friends. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's usually the people that say, yeah, I don't really know what my numbers are. They're the ones that want to make more revenue than they did last year. But you don't even know what you made last year. Here's a dollar. You've made more, you know, (laughs) congratulations. We're done here. Um, So do you have uh, like special programs you put them into, or is it, do you do an assessment, find out what they need? How How does that work? Yeah. So with law firm owners, there is a 90 day program and it is, you know, quick, results and it is not long because I know law firm owners need answers and they want results fast. So it's 90 days. We work on pricing, operations, marketing, you know, just everything so that you have a wildly successful law firm. Um, And it's success based on what you think is success. So for some law firm owners, they want to make a million. Some of them just want to make 150, you know, like Mm -hmm. wherever you are in that mix, it's, it's catered to you and your personal preferences. Um, and there are so many assessments along the way that like the program is like lecture assessment, lecture assessment. And that's how we actually get you results because nice. you've got to be able to do these assessments so that you know what's actually going on. Um, same with uh, medical practice owners. Medical practices, it's typically longer. It's closer to a year. And the reason that it's a year is because the size of a medical practice is going to be significantly different, right? You've mm-hmm. got your doctor or your provider. And then if you've got an associate, you've got an assistant, you've got a nurse practitioner, you've got a front desk person, you've got 
you know, an office. I mean, there's just a lot more moving pieces when it comes to a medical practice. Plus you have the overhead, you know, the expense of being in an office, the expense of your equipment. So that is, is on a longer trajectory, closer to a year. But in that year timeframe, you know, there's a ton of assessments that you go through and there's 30, 60, 90 day plans that we get you on so that we can actually measure, okay, this is the goal that we want to achieve. And we're saying that we're going to achieve it in 60 days so that everyone is accountable. And I find that that's one of the biggest things with business owners is sometimes they don't know where to start. And Mm -hmm. then if they do start, they don't know how to measure if they were successful or not. And they also don't know how long it should take them to complete it. So they might say, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, increase my prices or, you know, create this whole new business model by offering this new service. Okay, great. But like, how long will it take you to get there? And then when are you going to get it done by? And how much are you going to, like that then becomes overwhelming. So they stay in a space of, I'm going to do this. And then it never really becomes reality because they're not, putting the numbers to it. They're not putting the strategy behind it. It's just the thing that they keep thinking about that they keep saying to other people when they're in networking groups or whatever, but there's, mm-hmm. there's no reality behind it. And I think you gotta, you gotta, you know, get some skin in the game and put some, some numbers behind it. Absolutely. Yeah. After it's almost like a new year's resolution. Yes. You talk big, but then the next morning you forgot all about it. I'm, you know, eh. Exactly. Like I'm going I'm to but... lose those 10 pounds, Harlan. I am losing those 10 pounds this year. Okay. What are you going to do? I'm just going to wish. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to keep saying it to you every time and, and nothing's really <laughs> going to change. And I'm going to be like, yep, next year is going to happen. And I'm going to set the same resolution all over again. I'm going to lose 10 pounds this year. Absolutely. So now do you offer coaching, consulting, or a combination? Uh, most of what I do is consulting. Um, but it is in a group context. So um, it's going to be uh, with other law firm owners. It's going to be with other other medical practice owners. And a big reason for that is because you end up learning so much more from other law firm owners and other medical practice owners. And a big thing that also happens is you start to feel like you're not alone. You start to realize that your problems are not just your problems. Everyone goes through these growing problems and you sort of feel better because you get to commiserate together a little bit. And you're like, Oh, thank God. There's someone else who understands how difficult it is to hire the right people, how hard it is to get your team to adopt a new form of technology or a new program or a new system. And you start to second guess yourself as a business owner. Like these are all common business owner problems that, you know, everyone in that room has shared with you the Zoom room, of course, not the physical room anymore, right. because we're all in a virtual world right now. <laughs> exactly. Um, ever any problem with people saying, well, I don't really want to talk about my business because of conflict of, uh, not conflict of interest, really, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not like they don't want like, to like disclose. They don't yeah, want disclosure. They want to exactly. Private. They want things to stay confidential. And I totally understand that. But usually what happens is as soon as people get on the call or they hear how vulnerable their people are being or how honest they're being, they then all of a sudden are like, oh, I can ask these things and I can talk about these things and it's totally normal. And this is what everyone is talking about. And, you know, I think it takes a little bit of time to warm up to it. But I think that once you start, you know, seeing what's really going on and the depth of the conversations that are happening, 
you start to feel a little less shy. It's almost like, you know, uh, when I used to start a new class with a new law professor, like I would wait a couple of weeks before I would raise my hand because I wanted to see what kind of professor is he, you know, is right. he like one of those who's going to throw chalk at you if you're wrong or if, or is he like funny and like can, has a light sense of humor. So, you know, I think it's the same thing. You just sort of dip your toe in it. And then as you get more comfortable, you're ready to dive deep in. Awesome. Very cool. So do you consider yourself a type A personality? I am absolutely a type A personality. I actually wrote a book on how to be type A without being an asshole um, yep. because I have many oftentimes been type A and, you know, been accused of being an asshole and I own it. I totally do go there sometimes with my type A-ness. Um, I'm a perfectionist and by that, I mean, it's specific to legal documents. So I don't like red lines. I don't like grammatical errors. I don't like anything that Microsoft Word can fix. Like mm -hmm. it should be fixed. Like, please don't send me something that is incorrect. That is like clearly a red line that all you had to do was like fix the word, which just means you didn't put a lot of thought into it. And so like, that's where my perfectionism comes in. I don't like errors. I don't like mistakes. Um, and I do tend to call people out for them, but I try to be a little bit nice about it where I'm like, Hey, you know what, this is a mistake and this is incorrect and you should really fix it and then send it back to me. Yep. Um, what I realized is that some people aren't as responsive to that. <laughs> and so, you know, it is what it is. And, and really my big thing on being a type A is, you know, you can be type A in some areas of your life, but it doesn't have to be everywhere. So choose the things that you want to be type A about. You don't have to be type A at work and at home and at the gym and with your food, like pick three things, pick two things, like <laughs> just be type A there, go full force with your type A there, but everything else just lay back because that burnout that happens, mm -hmm. it's going to happen a lot quicker. And I've experienced all the kinds of burnouts and catastrophes from being a type A personality. I went from undergrad straight into law school, straight to wall street. Like it was a lot to do all at once. And I never took a break and, you know, I took the bar exam and then that Monday I was working my new job, like no oh. breaks in between. And so I definitely recommend like ease up on your type A-ness and you'll just have a happier life. <laughs> so what do you do to avoid being type A? So one of the things that I do is I try to make sure I'm reading a lot because that sort of turns everything off and the reading is just quiet time where I don't have to be type A. I'm not saying I'm going to read 30 pages every single day. Like that's exhausting. I don't know how yeah. people sort of set these requirements for themselves. I usually go through like reading sprints. So if I'm on vacation, if I'm going to take a day and go to a spa or something, I'm going to have a book with me and I'll get through as much as I can of that book. Um, another thing that I do is I paint like nice. sort of finger painting, like, cause that's what it looks like. It's abstract at best. Yeah. Um, I'm not painting these beautiful things. No, no, no. It's really just like a way to be creative and be colorful. And I know that it's not going to be a beautiful art, art work of art. It's going to be art that sucks, but I give myself permission to make art that sucks. And it feels so great to suck at that. <laughs> That's awesome. So 
you've been a lawyer, you've gone into construction, you've written a book, you've done all these different things. Where did you get the courage to do all this? Where does that come from? So a lot of it comes from my parents. Um, my parents are entrepreneurs themselves. My father has maybe an eighth grade education. My mom may be the same. So even to this day, they have broken English, which is totally okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up seeing them run their own businesses and they made like something from nothing. And we literally had nothing when we came into the United States from India. I mean, uh, you know, no money to their name, no home, no nothing. You know, we were living in apartments with other people. And then we finally got our own apartment. Then the apartment went to a house, but this happened over like 15 years. So mm-hmm. it's nothing that happened overnight. And I see like from them is where I got the courage to, and to understand that like slow and steady wins the race. Like it doesn't need to be this big overnight elevator to success. Um, so the fact that it took me so long to figure out what I want to do, and then I kept like pushing on like figuring out what I wanted to do, that courage comes from them because I got from them that it doesn't happen overnight and that you can do it. You just have to stick to it. Absolutely. Good job. Um, what type of courage do you think is important for an entrepreneur? So I think this is something I have realized very recently. And if you're a type A personality, this is going to be very difficult. Um, You have to be really good at accepting failure and bouncing back from failure. Because as a business owner, you are going to have so many things that you fail at. And it's going to be little things, right? Like maybe you try an ad strategy and it doesn't work. Maybe you hire a social media manager and it doesn't work. Maybe you try to become somebody on TikTok and become the next TikTok lawyer or the next TikTok doctor, whatever that is, and it doesn't work. You have to be okay with not only accepting the failure, but then bouncing back from that failure. So for me, I always take it really hard. Like, oh man, I failed and I tried so hard. And why does it have to be this way? And I like self-pity and like, swallow myself in my own wallowing and it's just awful. Right. And so like it's giving yourself permission to do that, but then also like come back from it. However, you need to come back from it. And I think the the more you understand that being a business owner just really means you are like an expert at failures. Like that's really what it means. And if you can accept that and you just take it with that attitude and that mindset, things just become easier. And you're like, well, let's see how many times I can fail. You know, like then that's like the thing you should be asking instead of, oh my God, I really hope this works, but like it will probably end up failing. And I think if you could just adopt that failure mentality, you're just, you're tough on like nothing will ever break you in business. Exactly. Well, like you said, you learn a lot more from failures than you do from just straight success, right? Absolutely. Hopefully you learn. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's a failure is you fall down, you don't learn something from it. Absolutely. That's a really good way of looking at it, Arlen, is, is like if you fail and then you don't, you know, learn anything from it and you keep making that same mistake mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Exactly. No, on, on projects, as a, when I was consulting, at the end of the project, we would do a postmortem, right? We'd sit down, what are the lessons learned? not just documenting what went wrong, what did you learn from it? And how are you going to apply that next time? You know, and that's really, I've tried to talk to my, my clients, you know, when your employees do something, don't 
get angry at them. Don't chastise them. Ask them, what did you learn from this? What are you going to do next time? And encourage them, you know, to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got to, I think taking a pause to do a postmortem is incredibly important. Sure. You got to know what you did wrong. You have to. And like I said, not just document what you did wrong, learn from it. Yeah. Got to learn from it. Um, so what's next for you? You've done everything. You have, well, you haven't been a doctor yet. Have you? Are you a no, doctor? I've not been a doctor yet. Dentist? No. Veterinarian? Okay. <laughs> so those are options. Uh, but what's next? I mean, you've written a book, more books in the works? No more books in the works. Um, what I am working on just right now is really just trying to work less and still be available for my clients. So that is a big focus for me. I know a lot of times, especially as, you know, independent consultants, a lot of us are like feeling the push of having to create content to stay relevant because, and like be thought leaders in what we do. So as I think about my own thought leadership, my own creativity, and just all of that and how much effort I put into those things, my goal is really to not be spinning about it and not feel like I should be. And instead just say, all right, this is what it's going to look like for the next year. So I'm actually in my 12 month planning phase right now where I'm figuring out what the next 12 months are going to look like and where I'm going to show up. So like, am I going to do speaking events? Am I going to do speaking engagements? Like, where do I want to be? And I don't want that to take over my serving clients. And I think that it's a delicate balance that we have to keep in place. And yet we always have to come back and reevaluate. Is this serving my clients? Like, am I reaching my clients? Am I helping law firm owners? Am I helping medical practice owners by doing this thing? And if not, then okay, it's not something I need to do. So, you know, in that vein, yes, I want to work more on my YouTube channel. I want to put out more videos and more content for my clients because it needs to be without a paywall, right? Like not everyone is going to be able to afford me. And I think it's incredibly important to still make available important information to these business owners because that's who I want to serve. And even if you can't afford me, I still want to serve you. So if a five minute video helps you think differently about something, I want to be able to do that. So that is what's, what's next for me. Good job. Yeah. And I love the videos. I mean, they're actionable information. It's not just, you know, stuff for the sake of stuff. It's actionable. It's good. Yeah. yeah I like those. Yeah. Very good. So if people want to get in touch with you. How can they get in touch with you? What's your website? So my website is www.wearews.com. We are ws.com. Perfect. And can they connect with you on LinkedIn? You can absolutely connect with me on LinkedIn. I prefer that you connect with me on LinkedIn and you don't even have to connect with me. You can just follow me on LinkedIn. Um, You can also follow me on YouTube. We are wildly successful. You can find me on uh, Instagram, wildly successful law firm, or you can just email me, Nermeen at wearews.com. Perfect. And I will have all of that information in the show notes so people can reach out to you. Thank you so much. This has been fun. I didn't realize you had been in construction and all this other stuff. That is cool. I've had a crazy life, but totally enjoyable, but absolutely a wild ride. But it gives you those perspectives. And I think that's what makes you a good consultant and coach is you have this different perspective. You can bring that, you know, to the the client. So yeah, very cool. 
Good job. Thank you. Well, again, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Listeners, hope you guys learned something. There's some good takeaways from this show. So uh, if you didn't write down notes, listen to it again and take down notes this time. <laughs> All right, Nermeen, thank you so much. And listeners, that's it. Hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 